This is RDQI. So today we get to talk about something that I actually have some expertise in, personal finance. It's always bothered me that personal finance is one of those taboo subjects that we're not allowed to talk about because when we can't talk about something, we can't learn about it from others. And unfortunately, the personal finance industry really preys on that ignorance. So I wanted to ask Ryan if we could ever get to a point where we as a society could discuss personal finance with our friends or family or even coworkers. I may have spent a bit too much time on the soapbox on this one, but I think this is a really important conversation that we all need to start having. Just one quick note before we get started. Uh, Neither Ryan nor I have any kind of business interest or personal interest in any sort of financial coaching business. Um, I want to make it clear that what we're talking about today is, is strictly opinion and does not constitute professional advice in any way. After all, I'm just a guy with a microphone and this could all be nonsense. But hopefully, at the very least, it'll be entertaining. So without further ado, let's get started. And at the end of this episode, just remember to pay off your credit card bill. This episode of RDQI is brought to you by Farmer Jay here. Hope you will. I'm sure your current lawn mower is just fine. But did you know that you can mow your lawn in half the time with the Wildcat tractor? That's right. Think about what you could be doing in that time. You could be tending to your crops, maybe feeding your goats, but really, you'll be saving a lot of time. Call your local Wildcat tractor dealer and ask the sales representative about the X350T riding mower. Ryan, do you think that it's appropriate for friends family acquaintances to discuss personal finances with each other yes and podcast <laughs> no right. it's a, it's a great That's a wrap, it's, everybody it's a, it's a great question um yes because i think in any major facet of your life whoever you are it's good to be able to talk and gain wisdom from other people to understand um, what choices you have and how you can positively affect your world, right? So, yeah, naturally we're inclined to say, of course, always go out and find more information, seek wisdom and counsel from someone else to make the best decisions. The problem, I think, comes when the fact that we live in the United States, which is a, you know, American culture is is a subset of Western culture, modern Western culture, you might say. And part of the problem with modern western culture is one of the ethics is the success ethic which has been described by people who research this sort of thing is basically saying that material prosperity is the ultimate goal in life or is where your value as a human is found in life now i don't think unless you're patrick bateman i don't think you subscribe to that as a hundred percent your only ethic in life um but it is a core foundation of what being an American is. Would you disagree with that? No, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's a pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, sort of mentality. And and that's how we measure success in, in American culture, at least. Which sets up this funny paradigm where if your value can really be summed down to what your net worth is, 
talking about and sharing your finance with someone, your financial outlook, your financial picture, even like your actual financial data, all of a sudden that becomes a very, very, very extremely intimate relationship, right? So then the people you're going to talk to about it, that's going to get restricted. And probably in American culture, if you have enough money that you need to worry about how to manage your wealth and you don't know what to do, you've probably got in touch with a financial coach of some sort or a financial advisor. And I know there's a difference between the two. But that's not the case for everyone, right? Even people who do have the the income to uh, afford that kind of a service to better direct their money, even still they won't go down that path. So what, what do you think, why do people, why are people motivated to be so closed-minded or closed-lipped about their finances, um, even if they have the means to grow their financial health by communicating with someone else? I, I think you're right on the money. It's so, it's so, t- pun intended, it's so tagged to your overall success or your measure as a successful person, the, the amount of money that you have, how successful you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, what your net worth is. Sure. Right. Um, and so when you are, I, I think the, the worry overall is to share that information with somebody who you know and realizing that you are in two completely different classes or leagues and then that having an impact on your relationship. Um, I think a good way um, to to think about it in a different context is um, when you're dating in your 30s, which uh, I have some experience with, um, <laughs> you inevitably get to the question of what's your number? Um and, you know, it could be the number of people you've dated more often. It's specifically, you know, the number of people that you've been intimate with. And it's always a strange question because if you're in the same sort of ballpark, then it's fine. But you can very easily, especially in your 30s, you can get to different levels of magnitude. Um, you know, one person <laughs> could one person's answer could be 10 and the other person's could be 100. And that creates a very awkward tension because the two of you have been playing two different games throughout your life. Or at um, least the score is different. This, But it's not just the score. It's not 11 to 12. It's 11 to 112. Sure. And so does that, are you saying that, that would make you feel like if you were on the lower end compared with, say, your partner this moment, be like, wow, I'm playing single A division minor league baseball and who I'm partnered with just t- turns out to be Babe Ruth. And like, like it feels unequivocal. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You know, you could, um, let's say just to put some numbers behind things because, uh, I'm, I'm an accountant <laughs> professionally Oh yeah, and I want to have, I want to have data behind my examples. But, uh, you know, I remember in my, you know, early twenties having, Ooh. uh, you know, finally you see, see, I'm already, uh, I'm already setting up and making it personal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I probably shouldn't. So let's just, let's just make up somebody theoretical, right? <laughs> um, 
you you get to a benchmark of you have ten thousand um, dollars in your bank account, and you talk to somebody who you've known for a long time, and you don't really discuss finances, but then you do, and you realize that you know they will throw around ten thousand dollars like it's nothing, and and that is an awkward realization for both parties because the person who just got to 10,000 is, is like, Whoa, okay. Um, what am I doing wrong? Why am I so far behind? And the other person is, you know, Ooh, I, okay. I probably shouldn't talk about my situation because it's going to make them feel, you know, uh, I don't know, inferior or like if, you know, like, Sure. Like they're not Unless successful that's your goal, because of course. again, this is the barometer of success. It's how much money you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be that guy, and by guy I mean individual, a person who uh, is going to want to flex on that stat, if you will, and to demean someone. You know, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are. I think that we assume a lot more desire to flex in that, in that arena. I, I don't, I, I think it's perceived that we measure success this way, but we really don't. I mean, I know that you and I don't. <laughs> uh, um, well, see, I think it's so deeply entwined in our conscience as humans who live in Western culture that it's, uh, it's might be impossible to divorce yourself from this idea entirely. Just because it's it's so pervasive in our culture, so you might be subconsciously yeah, you, might be right. you might be subconsciously yeah. engaged in this activity, um, which is what makes it so subtle. It's not even your, <laughs> you know, it's not even the, your prefrontal cortex necessarily, right? No, I yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, it, it it definitely whether whether you want it to be or not, it's subconsciously ingrained in you um, that you know that's the measure of success. Hmm. But what I really, so what I've come to realize, um, and you know, I, this is my, my profession has been in accounting and finance for the last 10 ish years, um, with some, with some, uh, some (laughs) breaks, some mini retirements in between. Um, but I, through that, through working in finance, I, have met a ton of people who know a lot about every single aspect of finance. And the great thing about a bunch of finance nerds is it's the one area that I've seen where people freely discuss hard numbers and without embarrassment (laughs) Mm. because typically everybody's in the same sort of category. Um, not always, but, but even when, you know, even when somebody who, you know, has invested a lot in some other businesses or real estate or something like that and has, you know, is in a different class, there's really not a lot of ego behind it. It's more discussion for the sake of discussion or discussion for the love of the game. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I have learned so, so, so much about the world of finance. Um, personal finance, right? Beyond just corporate finance. I mean, we'll discuss um, refinancing or the stock market or things like that. Just in the, it's it's water cooler talk, right? I mean, beyond beyond what we do professionally. And I really have taken taken that for granted um, most of my life. And 
what I've realized is I, as I've, as I've gotten older, I've, I've started to try and, and pry and, and just talk about personal finance more or make it okay to talk about personal finance more. Um, you, you know, become kind of a, uh, financial coach, finance, personal finance consultant. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is the level of financial, uh, literacy that I have, um, that I have just kind of taken for granted as a baseline really does not exist. And the average level of financial literacy, even among very intelligent, well-educated people is so, so low. And I think the reason for that is, is, you know, twofold. Number one, personal finance is really not ever taught in the education system. Mm -hmm. Um, You either had uh, you either raised in a in a household or with a family that understood it and ingrained it in you, or you didn't. And if you didn't, you tend to get yourself into trouble. But that trouble is, it, it's it's almost embarrassing because the expectation is that if you get yourself into financial trouble, it's because you. Ah, you missed something somewhere. You, you know, the, there's the idea that you should have understood this mm-hmm. and you don't, but really how, how could you, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, and I can go into to copious amounts of detail on this, but the financial system is, um, it's really set up to be very deliberately complicated and shrouded in a lot of mystery. Is that um, is that just in the United States or is that kind of a global phenomena? As far as you know. Uh it's a uh, I mean I can really only speak to the United States. Sure. Um but but yes, I mean you know, in, in any kind of western um capitalist type country or, or society. Yeah. Um, really anywhere, anywhere that banks are controlling the, the, the ebb and flow of money. Okay. You're going to have that. So the, Um, so the globe, because banks control virtually every aspect of, of your finances, right? It's where your money is. They issue credit cards. Um, you're talking, you go to for any kind of financing, whether it be uh, a car or a house. So I was about to say, you're talking central banking, right? But no, you're talking, any bank okay no 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 no. private private banking gotcha central banking monetary policy currency that is a subject for another podcast which i'd love to talk about sometime because it's whoo i mean talk about (laughs) frankly smoke and mirrors but yeah i was about to say um, voodoo um (laughs) whatever you want to say yeah Okay, so yeah, yeah, so it's an incredibly complex system that if you're not in the know, it w- is inclined, the system, the way it's set up, is inclined to take advantage of you to some degree. And how f- right. how far you put your foot wrong is going to dictate <laughs> how bad the penalty is. And the hard part, so it, <laughs> the way you make it sound is like, it's like walking through a minefield, but you don't even know it's a minefield, and you have a blindfield, blindfold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, not- and, and the system is sort of designed to encourage you to step on those mines hmm do you think that's malicious like it's just a part of human nature that like over time over centuries of developing a system there's just that little competitive edge of like yep but i still want to win the game do you think that's what's going on 
or is it just i, I don't you know i don't want to say that that banks are predatory and malicious uh as a rule but so let me let me describe one one kind of aspect where people get into a lot of trouble um credit cards Mm. so when i was growing up i it was it was so ingrained in me that a you a, a credit card is just an extension of your bank account Mm -hmm. and you never you never spend more than you have and you always pay off the balance at the end of the month you never ever carry over a balance Mm -hmm. frankly and you'll laugh at this i don't think until relatively recently it really it i really understood that you could use a credit card to spend money you don't have (laughs) like i didn't that's not how credit cards work it's basically just a debit card they just call it something different Um, (laughs) right (laughs) because this is how i was i was brought up i was just brought up in a very financially savvy household yeah same with me with the credit card approach Mm -hmm. so it was absolutely baffling to me when i started to ask this question realizing how many people that i knew who had and still have substantial credit card debt, which to me is just the absolute worst and, and easily avoidable financial situation you could put yourself in. Now, you know, I don't want to, there's some people who get into trouble because they have to, right? There's a medical bill and they can't afford it. They put on their credit card. That's unfortunate, but it, you know, what other choice do you have? But I'm talking about credit card debt that was completely unnecessary. Buying stuff on Amazon, um, you know, funding a boat. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and but Dave, 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 Dave. Debt. Let's be clear, though. That's what this country's economy is built upon: is spending. So how do we? Well, rec- yeah, yeah. So, but but here's but here's the trick, right? So okay. so. Everything really comes down to cash flow. Um, there's, you know, an interesting kind of play about uh, between net worth and, and cash flow. But net worth is something that, you know, you don't. Most people aren't going to really worry about. It's sort of irrelevant if you're trying to get your your situation in order. Cash flow is is absolutely the key to personal finance, and what that is is you define a period of time, and it's usually for for money. It's it's a month, right? Because most people get paid on some sort of like monthly basis, or their bills, bills are, are due on a monthly right. basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so within a given month, how much money do you make? How much money do you take in versus how much money do you spend? How much money goes out? If you have a surplus, great. You can invest that. You can put that into a different account that you can maybe later buy a house or something. And, and that's when you start to build net worth. But if you have a deficit, if you're spending more than you're taking in the, what credit cards have done is they've kind of made it very easy to forget about that problem. Like if we were trading just gold doubloons, if if banks didn't exist, if you ran a deficit in a month, you'd very quickly figure that out and correct that problem because you'd go to buy dinner and you wouldn't have enough gold doubloons and you'd be like, oh shoot, I really shouldn't have bought those shoes. I'll go return those shoes because I can't afford to eat. But I'm such what a sucker for those patent you- leather shoes, man. God. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I know, I know. But what credit cards allow you to do is to kick that can down the road to say, yeah, you know, I can't really afford these shoes, but that's next month's problem. The problem is, is that credit, when you kick that can down the road, not only are you compounding the problem, but you're compounding the problem at a, and this might sound like hyperbole, but I, you know, I'm open to having my mind changed about this, but at a criminal amount. You know, if you if you lend money to a bank, which is what you do when you're when you deposit money in a bank account, right? They give you an interest rate of what a half percent. If maybe. you're some some places, if will you give signed you up with that bank in like 1982, maybe they give you that. Yeah, I mean, there are some high yield accounts that are, I think, like 1.5 to to almost maybe three. Um, but you know, your standard commercial bank is going to give you a half a percent. If you borrow the bank's money via a credit card, they charge you 25% interest, compounded monthly. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems like a very unfair exchange, but the, the point is that people need money. Banks don't need money. So you lend the bank money, they'll give you nothing because they don't need your money. Bank lends you money, they can charge you whatever they want, and they charge you 25%. Mm-hmm. But... That's why it's it's hard, you know. I don't think there's an evil genius with curling their their mustache and laughing maniacally, but it's hard to it's hard to look at that setup and not see the duplicity in it because because the fact of the matter is is that people get into problems with credit card debt because they don't understand the rules of the game. Why else would you? It's 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 so. It just puts you in such a terrible financial position where you're paying 25% on this balance. I mean, within three months, you can rack up a balance that you can't actually pay off with your current cash flow. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm going on and on because I <laughs> have a lot of thoughts and opinions on this, but Really, I, I think the crux of that problem, I mean, really the crux of the problem is credit cards and and well, lending it, practices like that. Sure. But mm-hmm. it's, I think uh, barring, barring that, it's just knowledge. It's somebody telling you, you don't have to know the numbers. You don't have to be able to calculate the, the compounding interest that you would be charged. What you have to know is that you don't ever carry a credit card balance over at the end of the month, period, no exceptions. Yeah, that's a sound financial decision. Unless, But if you're not allowed to talk about finances with people, how do you, how do you know that? Well, I think that might be a big reason why the average American is in their financial situation. I don't have numbers, but last time I checked, they weren't positive. It was like, I can't remember how many, like what percentage of Americans couldn't cover an unexpected medical bill of $1,000. It's the last study I saw. And it was something like, don't call me, but I think it was the 60s. It was some absurdly high number. Um, And, but yeah, but if you don't talk about it, if it's not a part of your daily diet of thought communication, then yeah, why would you think about it? And I think the reason credit cards work and what psychologically is being tapped into here 
why we're why the conversation isn't easy to have is that it's it's just so easy to get what you want when you want it and a credit card allows you to do that so it's that instant gratification is what a credit card really opens up the door for you know Mm because you don't need to actually have cash in your account to pay for something you have an extended credit line and you can use that against yourself um the problem is if you get in over your head you get in the deep end you're treading water and all of a sudden you're sinking because your cash flow is in the negative now it's really embarrassing in our culture to have to admit that that might be one of the more embarrassing things you have to do admit like i've made really bad financial decisions in a culture that values money more than maybe any other culture uh in history (laughs) in history is what i was about to finish saying i don't think i think it'd be off top of my head i'd say the united states of america is the most money-centric culture on the face of the earth at the moment it might be of all time but that's also something you can't measure but it right. I mean, my gut tells me that that's right. But we, I, who knows? We, you know, you and I never grew up in any other culture, so we don't really know. <laughs> right. But it it gives way to the idea of like when you are so when you do need help the most, when you are at the most stressful point because the card the deck is stacked against you because of your debt situation in this hypothetical case of credit card debt. That's the time when you need to be running for help. And it also seems because of the way our culture functions around money and how we talk about money, it's also the last time, the least likely time you are to run to somebody for help. Um, Unless it's like, I'm going to lose the house. And then, of course, you have to open up and converse with someone else. But it's it's difficult to talk about because we don't want to share imperfections. We're also a perfect culture. And I (laughs) I think that's a global phenomenon more attached to social media and Instagram probably being the leading edge or the, you know, the easiest culprit to identify because it's all photo based. But yeah, I mean, most people are putting out this image of I live a perfect life. That's the, you know, you're controlling what you display to other people. So therefore you're trying to display perfection because again, tied back into the work ethic culture, perfection, being perfect at work will advance you in society, right? So it it really is like it's almost like two black stars like spiraling around each other in this vortex of gravity. Like it's a it's a bad situation to be caught in if you find yourself in debt, don't know how to get out of debt and are terrified because of various situations in our environment, terrified to ask for help. And yet it's it determines your livelihood and your quality of life. Maybe not more so than other things, but it's a major pillar of that. Yeah, I would say it's, it's, I mean, again, this is not backed by data in any way, but it certainly has to be top five biggest stressors in, in life on average. I know it's, I know for sure it's top three reasons for divorce. Finances are. Well, yeah, I have no problem <laughs> believing that. Um, and, and unfortunately it, it really is a black hole. And once you, once you start down the path where you start to get in trouble, the system that we've created, it penalizes you you. industries, whole industries have arisen to take advantage of people who are struggling financially. 
seriously lending oh man yeah yep Death reverse validation mo- reverse mortgages um which i don't know as much about as you do obviously i really shouldn't be chiming in on the finance department what do i really know yeah well i mean some of those cases it's <laughs> you know i mean honestly uh you know, home equity loans are are really a preferential way to alleviate. So it's it's a tool to get out of credit card debt, and it's a smart tool in a lot of cases, which is absurd to think about. Really, yeah. hey, what's the best way to get out of credit card debt? Take take out a loan against your home at a much lower interest rate. Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> How is that your recourse? But yeah, but it's all, it comes down to mathematics at the end of the day, right? So if you, if you run the math that I'm sure you could quickly whip up an Excel spreadsheet that could outline how this, how this, this would function. But yeah, I could see it being very easy to be like, yeah, I will take a different debt. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many advertisements I've got from credit card companies saying like, hey, if you essentially transfer all of your debt from, let's say, discover card and you bring it over to us here at visa we'll give you like a five percent apr break or something or sorry 0.5 percent apr break and therefore we'll take your debt and it'll be easier and cheaper for you to pay it off the fact that that advertisement makes some like an inch of fiscal sense kind of speaks to the fact that like if you if you are not literate in the financial world this the the cards are definitely stacked against you. At, absolutely. You, you know, and, and that, I, I just, as you were talking, I just thought of something really interesting. <clears throat> because in a, in a different sector, we've definitely seen an increasing trend, um, you know, within the last maybe five years, 10 years or so, of... Um, having a new open conversation around mental health. So I think Mm -hmm. mental health for a long time has been a taboo subject that you don't talk about. Of course. Um, You know, fast forward to now in, in the generation, anybody under the age of, I would say 35, um, you, you know, seeking help for, for mental health problems is not taboo at all. It's a smart thing to do. Um, younger than that, it's almost like, you know, of course you go to a therapist. You don't even necessarily have to have a problem. It's just important. And we've, we've lost the stigma, um, or at least we're slowly losing the stigma around talking about mental health. I, I would love to see, and I think that there is, there is hope for losing the stigma around talking about finances. You know, you can, you can have um, a problem with anxiety and you can be talking to a friend who does not have a problem with anxiety and where you may have used to feel shame. There, I don't think there's shame in that anymore. Why, why does there have to be shame about talking to a friend who's in a completely different spending class as you? doesn't mean you're better or worse it's it's a lifestyle choice in a lot of in a lot of respects right Mm -hmm. i mean you you can choose a career and you know that you're never gonna be making a million dollars it doesn't mean you're 
not successful. It means you're choosing a different path in life. True. But again, harping back on this core fundamental pillar of Western culture and the work ethic or the like earning your keep, essentially. There's still going to be that string in the back of anyone's brain in Western culture that's still going to be a bit sheepish. To some degree, I don't care. They could be the Apostle Paul. And there still would be a little bit in the back of the brain tied to this, what I do and what I create of value is my actual worth. It's just so hard to dissociate from our, our, our thought process about everyday life. So I totally so agree. Me- I totally agree with you because like that absolutely should be the case, but it's hard to get there. Because it requires you to look at your culture and say, no, I my net value, my net worth is not the sum of my value to my culture. So let me propose a new definition or a new paradigm of success when we talk about finances. Mm-hmm. I think we're wrapped up with the idea of net worth. Net worth is my level of success. I think net worth is largely irrelevant. It's all about, are you running a cash flow surplus such that in your current, in your current spending asset class, are you running a surplus? Are you saving something relative to the lifestyle that you're living? To me, that's success. And that could mean you're running a surplus of $10,000 a month. That could mean you're running a surplus of $50 a month. But it's all relative to the life you lead. If you're if you're netting $10,000 a month and you're you know living in a mansion, hey, that's great. Um, if you're netting $50 a month and you're, you know, one of eight people in a six-bedroom apartment and you know you're just having the time of your life, that's great too. Those are both successes in my book. 100% agree with you there. Does that make sense? (laughs) No, no, absolutely. Right, because it's all about, I mean, your financial outlook as an individual is entirely based on what you want to do in life. If you want to own own a a baseball team, you are going to have to earn hundreds of millions and probably low billions of dollars to be able to independently acquire a team like that, right? If mm-hmm. you if you just want to surf and yeah. you know, and you have no dependents, you don't even have a dog, like your financial outlook is widely and wildly different than that person aspiring to own a baseball team. Well, think about think about I I mean, I, I know we all want to own baseball teams, but a more attainable example is owning a house. Mm-hmm. Many people have no desire to own a house, you know. And if you are, if you are making, let's say, forty thousand dollars, you're living in an apartment, um, you're enjoying every minute of your life. You're able to put away some money into some investments or your four hundred one k, and you have no desire to own a. a baseball team, you know, or a house, <laughs> let alone. <laughs> <laughs> then, th- you know, then you have life financially figured out. 
so then, you know, but if you want to own that house, now you're going to have to, you know, understand that, okay, well, that's going to require a down payment, um, that, you know, they'll penalize you if you don't, uh, if you don't put together at least 20% of the purchase price as a down payment. Um, that is going to put you into a different spending class. You're going to have to reassess that surplus. You're going to have to put more of that surplus away. But my, my point is, is that it's not that net worth number because what does mm-hmm. that number really mean at the end of the day? It's, it's a scoreboard you know, moment. It's got, it's got to be, you know, without getting too uncouth, the moment where you pull your britches down, you know, Sorry to use such male-centric humor. <laughs> but I wish it wasn't. And I, and I really don't think for most people it is. Maybe for Jeff Bezos it is, right? $80 billion or whatever, which is just incomprehensible. Um, but otherwise, you know, net worth is sort of meaningless. Because, I mean, think about it. Net worth is is you know if you have if you start to rack up net worth you know with big dollars it's so it's it more than likely it's not sitting in a mattress under your bed it's in so many different investments in different asset classes whose values fluctuate up and down every single day so your net worth can you know uh, one bad day in the stock market could cut your net worth in half sure it, to me it's a meaningless number <laughs> yeah it's that's that's being hyperbolic of course it, it has meaning but i most people don't really need to think about that meaning too much <laughs> yeah you it's know, like when you, you see that set away to it's when you see that bad like yahoo business article headline and sorry that i'm you know throwing shade at you here yahoo but it's some attention grab thing like the day that Jeff Bezos lost 300 million and it's like, oh, Amazon stock went down a half percentage point. It's like, that's not, he didn't lose. I mean, yes, you could say he lost that money that day, but in a long-term perspective, it's not a big deal. It, you know, compared to his financial outlook, his perspective. Right. Right. That's why Bill Gates can afford to give away what 96% of his net worth Mm -hmm. and still have more money than most people, most Americans. Yep. You know, I, I actually did the math once, and I, I forget exactly when this was in Jeff Bezos's journey to have all the money. Wait, 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 hold up. Do you say Bezos or Bezos? Bezos? I think that's... I don't know. It could be right. Could all be right. Wrong. Well, either way. I don't particularly way. care. No, I'm <laughs> never going to meet the man, so it'll be fine. Um... But I did the math once, and if you if you liquidated his fortune you could you could give he could he could essentially give thirty thousand dollars to every single American. <laughs> and that is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Not that that's right or wrong. We can well uh, you know there's we could talk about the I this podcast is not about the morality or about the uh you know capitalism as a as a function. But really, it's just about what what I hope that, you know, listeners would take away from this is that, A, you learn something about finance. If you take away nothing, take away this. There is no exception to this rule. You never carry over a balance on your credit card. At the end of the month, pay off every single dollar on your credit card statement. No exceptions ever. 
um, if you take away two things from this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> the second thing should be this. <laughs> it's that we shouldn't be embarrassed about talking about finances because that's how you learn. And that's how you learn about things that you never would have known and just make yourself more intelligent about finance. Um, and it's, you know, remove the stigma from uh, away from going to somebody for help or going to anybody for help or getting help with your finances now. Um, because I, frankly, if you think it's embarrassing that you have $10,000 worth of credit card debt, it's a lot more embarrassing to declare bankruptcy and to, you know, go down that route. Mm, and, right. and this stuff is like, you know, it's, it's really easily fixable. I mean, that's what financial coaches do. Um, you know, that kind of, that kind of credit card debt is like, we could fix that. We could fix that real quick. It's, it's not, it's not this, this doesn't have to be this spiral. I'm not trying to sell myself, by the way. I'm not actually a financial coach or consultant. And to reach Dave, if you need financial help, you can call this number. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're spot on. But So maybe then a good question is, how do we decouple financial conversations from embarrassment? 